We're going to follow some scripture today, and so if you have a Bible or electronic device, whatever you have, I'm going to be going through a lot of scripture. And let me just tell you that I, I'm not going to preach the kind of message I normally do. This is probably extremely what you might declare as pastoral, but I think it's necessary, and I just just wanted to do this. Every year we have pastor appreciation, and it, Romans chapter 13, Paul writes about he says, give honor to whom honor is due. And that's why we do this. This isn't to try to rob God of any of his glory, but it is. He did say, honor those who serve among you. And I think it's right that we do so. In that scripture, that chapter, Romans 13, Paul also talks about the higher powers. And let me just tell you that he instructs the Christian to be a part of, and as long as it's biblical, obey the government that is over you. Obey the laws of the land. He talks about obeying not only our government, but our laws. And we should honor those who are, who, are, who are our law officers. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is right, it is Christian to say to a law enforcement officers, regardless of the office, we honor you. You are our heroes. We should not be putting them down. We should be building them up. Every day. They place their life in the line of danger for our duty. And you guys that are here, I thank God for you. He also talks about honoring what is called dignities in, in the sense of positions and power. And, but honor to whom honors due. So this morning, I want to do something different. And I, it may be a, very different for us as a church. But I think it's necessary. I just felt like the Lord dropped in this my heart. And so I want to... I want to talk about pastor's appreciation, but if you will put that title up, there it is. I want you to notice the apostrophe is following the S. It is possessive. Rather than us dwelling on pastor appreciation, I want to reverse the concept and talk about what pastors appreciate. It's pastor's appreciation. And I'm saying this for myself and my entire staff. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, Four or five weeks ago, I don't remember how long it was. In the staff meeting, I just got this idea. And I said, guys, if I ask you one or two words about what you appreciate about the congregation and the church, what would those two words be? And those five, or I don't know how many points I got. Think five maybe. Those five points are my message today. And, and I, want to, I want you to know that here's the bottom line. Every Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe some of you more, you're the ones who get up, you go to work, you toil, you labor, you, you do all that God has allowed you to do and given you employ. And I want to tell you, then you come, you place your tithe in the offering, you give offerings above your tithe, you support our missions, you support our programs, you support our youth, you do all these things. And I just declare, if anybody in this place needs to be appreciated, it is the average person who says, God, I will be obedient and I will do what you ask me to do and be faithful. And it is you. Would you please put your hand together and thank the the people across the sanctuary and across the sanctuary for being faithful people to the house of God. Thank you, Cornerstone. Or sorry, Christ Legacy. <laughs> Boy, I went back, didn't I? So the first one I asked, what words do describes? And Dave and Tanya responded first. Dave said, "I want to, I, I, Pastor, I appreciate the doers. 
And Tanya said, I appreciate the volunteers. So I've chosen to put theirs together. And I've tried to get scripture here, but I have a lot to say this morning about these, these, the appreciation we have. James, in chapter 1, verse 22, says something to the church. He says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Listen, if you think you're religious and you're righteous and you're spiritual and you don't do anything for the kingdom, James says you can be deceiving to yourselves. In chapter 2 of James, he goes on in verse 17 to say, Faith without works is dead. And there was a big controversy about trying to do works where we might become righteous. And James tells us no works of righteousness that we can do can earn us anything. But because we love God and because we want to be obedient to the word of God, we also will do works that says, God, we love you for what you've done for us. This word doers in the, in the Greek is poientes, and it means to produce, to make happen, to perform. And he's talking about be doers of the word. He's talking about you, we who are twice born, be spiritually obedient, not just saved, not just quote unquote Christians, but you are obedient beyond your salvation to the word of God. And he goes on to say, and with works. So here's the bottom line. We want to say this morning as a staff, we appreciate dependable people. People who get things done. All of you in this sanctuary and this body of believers who make things happen, we thank you, those of you who give your time, those of you who give your talents, as well as those who give their treasure. It is important because it keeps this body of witness to this community. 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to go there many times, several times this morning. Paul speaks of something about what's called the diversity of gifts. He's talking about this Holy Spirit that comes and places gifts in the believers. And he talks about especially nine spiritual gifts. We who are Pentecostal, we're quite aware of these particular nine gifts, the gift of faith and healings and and prophecy and tongues and interpretation and discernment, all those gifts. But he also goes on to talk about the importance of all the gifts. And he talks about the fact that these gifts operate in the body of the church. So I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to read with me, along with me about verses 12 through 14. He talks about this body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And he talks about the fingers and the feet and the eyes and on and on in another place. He's talking about it has members, but it's one body. Verse 13. So by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And I want you to know that we read on down about these gifts. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Individually, we are individuals, but together we're the body of Christ. And verse 28 is important for us to read and not miss something. And God has appointed these in the church first 
apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, variety of tongues. It's easy for us to pass by one of the most important gifts that God has given the church. And it is this. Don't miss the word. Then he gives the gift of helps. And I want to declare to you this morning, just as needed, just as necessary, just as important of all the, quote, spiritual gifts and all the offices, apostles, prophets, teachers, all those, just as important as these, quote, spiritual gifts, is just these people who, let me say it like this, also roll up their sleeves, give the gift of helps to the body of believers in Christ's legacy, and they do it unto Christ himself. It's the people who run the coffee shop and the people who do the meals and those who clean the church and those who do all kinds of ministries here. Replace light bulbs. Greet and help us usher on and on and on. I cannot catch you all, but I want you to know your helps, your gift of helps to this church that we might be a witness and strength to one another and a witness to this society and this community. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just as important as this baptism of the Spirit of God. And I want to join Dave and, and Tanya and the rest of the staff and say I appreciate you for the work you do in this church. Pastors appreciate what you do. And it's important that you know it. Amen. Secondly, when I asked Henry, he said these words. He said, Pastor, I'm very appreciative of the response to worship. Now, doesn't that just sound like a, a worship leader? I mean, it's like, what else did I expect him to say? But I know Henry, and I know Henry's heart, and he doesn't get up here and do this mechanically. But I want to share something with you. I tried to find a nice word, so let me meddle just a minute. There is nothing more difficult to try to resurrect than a bland believer. How about that? People that come in and say, here I am. I'm weary. I've worked. I'm tired. I've been working 60 hours this week. And on and on and on. Listen, motivational speakers have spoken for years by the hundreds about the importance of attitude. And on a Sunday, we, you know, we don't say it sometimes. We don't speak it. But we come in here, we're just going, Pastor, I'm so tired. I'm so weary. Back the 60 hours. I've been beat up all week. I've had disappointed the months longer than the money this time and, and all that. And so my tank is empty. I'm just, I'm just worn out. Pick me up. Pump me up. Fill me up. Do something if you can. And while we as a staff want to certainly sympathize and even empathize, we're not without those problems. We're not without demands. We're not without the pressures. We all live the same schedule. We understand all that. But let's be clear from the scripture this morning. It's really not the worship leader and the singers and musicians in the pastor's place to pump you up. It's not. We are instructed. I'm going to go to Jeremiah chapter 33. I want you to look at some verses here. And we're going to begin with verse 11. It says, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, wow, 
Those who have that kind of attitude, listen. Those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, and He makes them a promise, and He's talking about covenant. And watch what He says. He said, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. Can I just tell you something? That we're instructed that we are to come into this place and we are to offer God the sacrifice of praise every time we enter this place. God said in that scripture, I will bless you and I will keep my covenant of presence with you and I will restore anything the enemy has taken away. He said, if you're in captivity, I will, because you come up and praise me, I will renew that covenant with you. I, as a child, I remember going to Sunday evening services. And back then we had church every Sunday night and we had what we call, we would worship and then we had what we call testimony service. How many of you remember Sunday night testimony service? Anybody here? All the, all the older ones, none of the younger ones. I said in the early church, maybe we, early, early service, maybe we just should have a Sunday night and have a testimony service because I'm going to tell you it was fun. But I used to play guitar there, and a friend of mine was on the piano. And, and, and back when I was a child, everything that was an instrument, we brought it. Whether they were good or not, we let them play it, and we had a time. We made a noise unto the Lord. <laughs> but we would sit on the front seat, and we'd, that what we would do is, and they, this is the way it was done. I mean, somebody would stand and testify, and then we'd play a chorus, and we'd sing it. And we knew two or three women in the church that if you'd sing a certain song, they'd get all happy, and they'd get all good about it. Boy, we would sing a particular song, and we know that Sister So-and-So was going to get up, and she was going to shout, she's gonna, and we could just maybe not have preaching. <laughs> Don't you dare say amen to that. I, I could. <laughs> so, boy, we'd go and I'd say, there was this favorite song because this lady, Sister Whitefield, she was, she's, bless her heart, she's in the Lord's house today. In, in, in the, she's on in the glory world. But I would start an old song called something like this. Uh, this old world can never hold me anymore, but I'll be gone. For I've made my consecration, and I have my wedding garment on. How many of you ever heard that? Four of us. <laughs> Get me my cane. I feel bad. We sing that wedding garment and Sister Whitefield. Boy, she'd get all happy. And I, I just, I, I said, I like this because I know what she's going to do. But let me tell you another lady in testimony service that marked my mind all my life. And it was this. She, this lady would get up and testify. My dad always took the testimony service, always did the preliminary service. And she'd get up and I could almost quote you what she's going to say. She'd say, Brother Brooks. I just want to stand and testify for the Lord. And she would say these words every Sunday night. She would say, I find there's two times when to testify. One's when you feel like it and the other's when you don't. Do you know how much truth there is in that and how it marked me as a young boy? I just want to declare to you, ladies and gentlemen, young people, there are two times to worship God. One's when you feel like it and one's when you don't. That's how to worship the Lord. <laughs> Romans 1 says this. Romans 12, 1 says, You present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So don't say you can't and don't say you don't want to. The scripture says when you come in this place, the worse you don't feel like it, the better it is when you do. It is. Hebrews 13, 15, speaking of Christ, it says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So here we come on Sunday morning, and we've been beat up, and we've gone through all this, and we have all, and we come with the world on us. And I tell you, the last two weeks have been a circus in Washington, D.C. I'm almost ashamed. It is pathetic what's going on. In our, in our government. Ladies and gentlemen, we get all that. We got all the pressure of the world. We enter the sanctuary and the music begins. And the worst, you know what You know what Henry does? He gets up. We have 30 different directions on our mind. And the first thing Henry does is say, stand to your feet. You know why? Because it says, present yourself a living sacrifice. That's why. Come to church with some enthusiasm. And here it is, we begin to sing. And we begin to sing the songs that, that sin, give us in the presence of God. And soon our soul, that this mind that is so, so overworked, and our emotions that can sometimes be so wrought with pain or difference and various and hurts and pains, and we begin to dwell on the Lord and His Holy Spirit begins to come upon us and our soul starts to drink and a revived Spirit of the Lord comes upon us and we break forth in song and in joy. And before you know it, our hands will raise. Before you know it, we'll be praising. And the sanctuary is filled with God's presence and He refills us and refreshes us. Ladies and gentlemen, it is important to know the discipline of worship. So next Sunday morning, I want you to come into this place and I want every one of you to bring the sacrifice of praise because, ladies and gentlemen, there are people every Sunday in here that need to know we are real about this. This is not for us. It is to worship God. And yet God comes and he does things that the human eye cannot see when he works his work among men. It is so important. I want to agree with, with Henry and the staff. Thank you for your, your ability to help us in response to worship. It is so important. We claim as the people of God to have the answer for the world. Some of it is that. I'll talk more about it in the next one. Martin Luther Perryman. When I first saw, when I first saw Martin's initials, MLP, I went Martin Liquid Propane. <laughs> I just think that's funny. But I like Martin Luther Perryman. And I found out this morning his middle name's Lee, but I like Martin Luther better. His answer when I said, what do you appreciate about this congregation? He said, Pastor, I appreciate the enthusiasm of the group. Now, listen, he's so prejudiced toward the seniors, he was just trying to make it exclusive to that group, but I'm not going to allow that. Okay? I want to say thank you for having a sense of humor. I want you to know that I purposely try to bring some humor. I want to cut up. I, I want to have fun. I think God gave us a laugher. We ought to use it often, especially as we see the day approaching. Ladies and gentlemen, enthusiasm is an important thing to have. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says this, and he, he looks through the life and he makes, li listen to what Solomon writes. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge in the grave where you're going. You know what that means? Let me summarize that. It means enjoy life while you have it. You better enjoy it while you're here. Listen, you got to be happy today. You got to be you, you have to be joyful today. You have to be kind today. You have to be patient today. You have to do what you want to do today. You're not promised tomorrow. How many of you know that we really do like enthusiastic people? You won't be living very long and, and, and be sensitive to the world and, and begin to know things until you'll realize that God has given us a great ability and it's the ability to choose. A great gift, it's the gift of choice. And, and that, that tells you right there the freedom in God and the love of God to give us choice to absolutely reject Him or absolutely love Him. Years ago, a, a motivational speaker when I was a young man, Zig Ziglar was a big name, he came up with one of the most uh, quoted little phrases. He said this, attitude determines altitude. And I'm assuming he took it from aviation because there's an attitude of an airplane and of course of the altitude above sea level or above the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. Choose a positive attitude. A positive attitude is powerful. A positive attitude, young people, can change the atmosphere of your school. Let me tell you, a positive attitude can change the atmosphere of your life. It can change the atmosphere of your marriage, of your home, of your work. It can change the attitude of worship inside this sanctuary. We have enough negative. We have enough negative. Ladies and gentlemen, let God's people be positive people. And I want to go back to Romans 12 and 1 where it said present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Verse 2 is important. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world. That means, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to live like this world. But it says be transformed. That means you can be transformed. And it means by this means, by the renewing of your mind, your attitude that you may prove, I'm going to insert here, you become a mirror for the face of Christ in this society so they can see that genuine Christianity has a positive attitude. And he says that you may prove that which is a good and perfect, acceptable will of God. If you want the world to believe that you are genuinely twice born, it must show, and it takes some discipline on our part. We must renew our mind and our spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, enthusiasm comes from attitude, and attitude can be determined by renewing your mind in the Spirit of God. If you're down and out and sour and negative, get saved again and decide you're going to renew your mind by the Spirit of God. Nobody likes to be around a grouch. Watch this. You know what it takes to be an old grouch? A young grouch. So stop grouching because nobody likes it. Say amen. <laughs> I agree with Martin, with the staff. I thank you for the enthusiasm. It's good to have fun. It's good to be enthusiastic. Number four, 
John Edward Elliott. I asked him, and Pastor John said, Pastor, I appreciate the people in this church for the passion for excellence. He went on to say, it's a pleasure and a joy to work where you know everyone wants to try to do their best and always improve something. It's akin to, in the scripture we read, do it with all your might. But I want to make an observation here. Sometimes some people can do things with all their might, their strength and effort and intensity and zeal and not use any sense with it. And not use any dignity with it. And so they can be mighty in effort and zealous, but without a proper balance and a care. So let me tell you, this Word of God deals with real life. Deuteronomy uh, 33 at 26. Notice something important. It's talking about a young man, but notice how it describes God. It says this. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. I want to share something with you. Our God is a God of might. Our God is a God of omnipotence, absolute, unleashed, unlimited power. But our God is also a God of finesse. Our God is a regal, excellent majesty. He is holy, so we should be holy. It is important to understand this excellence of our God. Philippians chapter 3, Paul begins to warn the church about their dependence upon their flesh. And, and let me just, let me read it to you. Philippians chapter 3, I'm, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 if you'll follow along with me. But what Paul's talking about the flesh here, he said, but what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. All of his material gains, even his health. Verse 8, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Here was a man, the most educated man of his day. Here was a man who was powerful in what we would call today our Senate. In that day, it was called the Sanhedrin. He was a powerful government leader, and he lost his, lost his place, lost his money, lost everything he had. He said, I count all of that as rubbish that I may gain Christ. But I want to show you another verse. It's down in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. Paul is saying, I'm driven now to do the will of God in my life. And he said, brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend, have, have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the high and upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, there's always something of an excellence to live for. There's always a place for improvement. And in our lives, it's the place, it's placing the high value and the high regard toward the things of God. The scripture declares in chapter 14 of Romans, let everything be done decently and in order. So along with John and the staff, I want to say, all of us in this congregation, I want my life, 
I want my living. I want my legacy. I want my family. I want my staff. I want my church to have a passion for excellency and that toward Christ and toward the many ministry so that it is all for the glory of Christ because everything we do, we do it as unto him. And I want to do it with excellency. Sometimes it's hard for a farm boy to have excellency. But I want to tell you, I think one of the major missing elements in our society today, ladies and gentlemen, is dignity. And dignity one toward the other. Can I say I thank you the dignity that we show among one the other? Which leads to what I responded. This is mine. And I told them one or two words, listen to mine. Would it surprise you if mine were more than one or two words? Please don't say amen there. Here's what I want to say I appreciate. I appreciate the mature and the personal discipline in relationships with the body of Christ at Christ's legacy. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. A while ago we talked about attitude. It's not said, unspoken sometimes, but I want to tell you something that I love about this congregation. I appreciate every sacrifice of humility, every act of self-control, every discipline of the tongue, patience one toward the other. I want to say in plain language, I appreciate the fact that we practice the obedience of Christ and we just put up with one another. And that's hard for some of us. I would have thought you'd have said amen there. I gave you a chance. Do you know that we are all imperfect? Look, we're all different. We think differently. We act differently. We are never going to ever agree on everything. I can't even agree with myself sometimes. And let me just declare to you, it takes mature discipline to be quiet and bite your lip and bite your tongue and walk away for the sake of peace in the house and in the household of God. It takes effort to do that. Thank God somewhere there's some mature people who know how to behave. Back to Romans 12, Paul said these, responsibilities, remember toward God, responsibilities toward our society, And in verse 3, though, we read verse 1 and 2. Listen to verse 3. He says this. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Can I tell you something that says you don't get your way all the time? It isn't always about you. Hello, newsflash. Life in the world is not about us. It's about him but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse 9, listen to these powerful words. Let us, let love, he's talking about one toward another, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. 
I have two sons, and they disagreed sometimes, and I'm telling you, I played referee. And that's just the way brothers are sometimes. I had to teach them brotherly love. Actually, not really. Because let me tell you this. It's okay for them to fuss among themselves, but you, you, you fuss with one of them and watch the other one. They may even know what I'm talking about. It's all right for me and, me and my brother to disagree. Don't disagree with my brother. Listen to verse 18. This is our responsibility. This is God's Holy Spirit speaking to every one of us. It says, if it is possible, and he's not going to point and throw it over behind him and to the side or front, as much as depends on you. I'm going to point down here instead of out here. As much as depends on you, you live peaceably with all men. I am so thankful for you who would like to and we who would be tempted to. When we're upset, we get our feelings hurt, something comes against us, somebody criticizes, and we would, we would like to give somebody our proverbial two cents. I want to say appreciate the fact that you guard your spirit. You guard your words. You discipline your emotions. You discipline your reactions. And you let the peace of God rule in your heart and your mind. And that allows the Holy Spirit, as he acknowledges it, your discipline and your dignity. And then there's a kinship and a spirit of peace in this place so we can worship God in spirit and in truth. It ought to be so. Can you say amen? Listen to a powerful verse in Psalm chapter 133. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's three verses. Behold, watch these words, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity and fellowship. I want to declare something. If there is any organization in any organism, any group of people on planet earth that has a cooperative spirit and in unity where it is good and where it is pleasant. It should be in the house of the Almighty Lord. It is like, and watch how, he, watch how he describes it, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. He is in, he's in reference to the anointing of God that he would anoint the oil and it would run down his hair and onto his beard and it would even get on the garment and on the feet. And the whole purpose was while the high priest walked by the people, there was that special anointing oil upon the God's pastor and God's priest and the people would smell that aroma in the air and it would change the atmosphere of that worship. He's saying it is that good. It is that powerful. It is that pleasant. And it says running down the edge of his garment. Verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. It is like the purest melted snow that brings water down for that. And he says this, for there, in that place, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. If you and I, ladies and gentlemen, will be disciplined and we will see that the peace of God rests among us, let me tell you something. There will be life in this place because we are here to bring life to this fallen society. Listen, Satan will destroy us any way he can. And I've been around long enough to most of the time to tell you when he destroys churches, 
It's because people decide to be undisciplined, immature, and self-centered, and self-justifying and super-spiritual. And they want their way, and the Scripture calls them busybodies. Busybodies. They're not bringing peace. They're bringing destruction. Let me just tell you this. As a pastor, it's true. When a church body begins to criticize each other, when they begin to argue among themselves, and they don't practice what the Scripture says, it doesn't say if you have aught with a brother, go talk about him. It says you go talk to him. And the Scripture instructs that you be reconciled. You come with the spirit of making this right with a brother or sister. And both the offender and the offended are required to do that because God says, I want this handled among my children I want to tell you something. Some of the greatest pain a parent can ever experience is if you have two or more kids and they don't get along. I mean to tell you, that will tear your heart out of you. And it breaks the heart of God. And he says, it's like when you criticize each other, when you argue among yourselves, let me tell you, as a pastor, I've seen it. It's like throwing up a high-dollar piece of precious china in the air, expect it to land and not be damaged. And that's what Christ does. Christ's legacy, why don't we decide this morning we're going to really live it, that we're going to really guard the dignity of relationships with one another and allow God to build an atmosphere here in this place where saint and sinner can come and say, the Spirit of God dwells in this place. Amen. I want to say an appreciation. I appreciate the mature and personal discipline in relationships with the body of Christ that we've decided we're going to have in Christ's legacy. I'm not going to put up with fussing because I don't think God puts up with it in heaven. How many of you know there wasn't any sugar on that pill? My dad wouldn't let me throw a fit. My dad wouldn't let my sisters throw a fit. How many of you know what a fit is? (laughs) Nothing more needs to be said. Parents, let me meddle a minute. If you allow your children to throw fits and you don't discipline them, you're teaching them that they get everything they want, any way they want, any how they want it, any on and on and on. And I just wanted to tell you, you're doing your child an injustice. That is not the way life is. And it needs to happen before they're six years old so they don't have to still try to deal with it when they're 60. Amen. You just got to grow up. You got to be disciplined. Everything about our life improves with discipline. I just want to say on Pastor's Appreciation Day what the pastors appreciate. I want to say for the staff and for myself, thank you for honoring us. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for gifts, cards, encouragement. Thank you for all those things. And we want to honor you with our examples and a trust. And together, while the Lord has us together, let's us decide that we will do things excellent for the glory of our God together.